Warm Green Eden's Acro community, this is Dr. Stephanie Kruzmark, co-host of the Admit It podcast. On February 7th, 2022, a new bill, the Fair College Admissions for Students Act, was introduced to the U.S. Senate in the House of Representatives. The bill would ban any college that participates in federal student aid programs from offering admission preferences to children of alumni or donors. While there is still no update on the approval of this bill, to add some perspective, I sit down with Barb Roberts, Assistant Vice President of Undergraduate Admissions and Financial Services for the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. According to the U.S. News and World Report rankings, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas is noted as one of the most diverse institutions in the country and does not offer legacy admissions to increase access, equity, and diversity within its student body. In this episode, I asked Barb to discuss her perspectives on this new potential legislation and its impact on the future of college admissions and enrollment. Acro community, I invite you to listen, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you again for taking time out of your very busy schedule at this time of the enrollment cycle and in the academic year. Really delighted to have an opportunity to sit down and chat a little bit more about this new bill that's been um, issued to the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives about the Fair College Admissions for Student Act, you know, banning colleges and universities that receive federal aid from offering admissions and even early admissions in, in some cases to children or those that have a relation with an alum or a donor. Um, UNLV or University of um, Nevada, Las Vegas being one of the most diverse campuses in the U.S., just terrific. Would love to hear more about your take on this bill. But before I get ahead of myself, I should really ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners. If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at UNLV, and how did you get started in a career in enrollment? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, Stephanie, so much for having me today. I am happy to be here and to, to talk with you and to share a little bit more about myself and UNLV as well. Um, so again, my name is Barb Roberts. I'm the Assistant Vice President for Undergraduate Admissions and Financial Aid Services here at UNLV. I have been with the university for a little bit over 10 years now. And prior to that, I was with another institution, a regional division two in Kansas. And prior to that, I was a high school teacher. I always say in my previous life, I was a high school teacher. And it was actually that job that kind of helped me start thinking about being or working in a higher ed arena, because I thought um, I was working in a small rural call, um, community, and those students didn't really have a perception about what it meant to go to college. And I didn't have that either as a young know, high school student a million years ago, it seems like, uh, in, in Southwest Missouri. I had no one telling me what to do or how to go to college or how higher education or education beyond high school in general could really change my life. And I happened to go, but it was because of athletics. And I always say, if it wasn't for that, I may not have gone to college. And so when I started working in a high school arena, I thought these students deserve to know more and they need to hear how continuing their education beyond high school can really change their lives and the lives of their families for generations to come. So that really kind of drove me to the higher ed space. And I got here and have not looked back and have enjoyed every single moment of it. And as I was sharing with you earlier, Stephanie, I am never, ever bored. 
in this work. Oh my goodness. Can you, speaking of UNLV, um, not only being one of the most uh, diverse college campuses in the U.S., but but large institution. Can you tell us a little bit more about how many students are you supporting? You know, what's your average student profile? All those fun things that us enrollment professionals really love to share. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we have about 30,000, a little over 30,000 students and in, in growing. Um, and our administration definitely has a, a big push to grow even more, which is you know, always interesting in the world of enrollment these days to hear, we're going to grow. Um, it's a little stressful, right? Yeah. But for us, yes, we are very, very diverse. We have been consistently in the top five most diverse institutions in the nation for several years in a row. Um, our students, really, we have students from about 90 countries and all 50 states. But we are being, you know, really a very urban institution embedded sort of smack in the middle of the Las Vegas Valley. We do have a very large group of students that come from Clark County. Um, and so Clark County in Nevada, though, is extremely large. It's about the bottom third of the state is all Clark County. It is one of the largest school districts in the nation. And it is also a very diverse, um, a very diverse community in and of itself. And so with about of our enrolled students, around 75% of those students do come from the valley um, and from various you know types of high schools within within the valley out of state we do see a large number of our students come from also very diverse areas obviously we we attract students from other diverse areas to come here and get a different experience but still be in a group of of students that is as diverse as what they're used to so california hawaii are big are big places uh, for us and for us to have out-of-state enrollment. Um, but we are also definitely developing markets in other urban areas where diverse students are also looking for an out-of-state experience, but something that is more similar to something that they might experience in their own backyard. So we do tend to attract students from other very urban um, areas, obviously. Uh, being in Las Vegas is, not like going to a, a college town uh, where you might see other large institutions, but they are really situated in a place that doesn't have that urban feel the way that we do. Wow. So it sounds like the geography, certainly being located in Las Vegas, um, certainly having a very diverse um, kind of high school uh, pipeline already within the mm -hmm. state and then Absolutely. you mentioned California and Hawaii. Are you, do you have specific um, recruitment tactics that you utilize when you're identifying um, where to hopefully uh, gain student enrollment from or is it just kind of organic? Are folks finding you just naturally? Well, I feel like that's, it's some of both of those things, right? And, and those of us that are really in recruitment worlds that are listening to this, I mean, we know that you look for students who are going to match your institution and where the institution is also going to be a good fit for them. And so, you know, for us to maybe, let's say, go um, look for students in rural Oklahoma, that's not going to be a good match for us. It's not going to be necessarily a good match for them. Maybe, maybe a student here or there we might pick up from a really rural area. But for the most part, we're looking for students um, and uh, in areas where we know that they are familiar with those surroundings and maybe they're looking for something that's similar to that 
and our size of an institution that is in a similar situation that they're in. And then we look at competitive price points and where as an out-of-state you know, as an out-of-state institution, can we still be competitive with other rates where those students may be looking in-state or out-of-state at kind of comparable institutions? And so, you know, you once you look at all of that data and and kind of look at the cross-sections of that and, and what our offerings are and where students from those areas are applying elsewhere, then you start to get a really good picture of, okay, these are places that would be good good situations for us to go and look for students who may be interested in UNLV and where UNLV may be something that is really going to meet their needs as a student. That makes a lot of sense. It's, it's sort of years in the making though, right? Then once those things start to happen and you start to develop those markets, then at that point, um, word of mouth does start to spread and people do just start coming more organically after you start to do those things um, at, as a very specific and strategic um, path. That's when you then get into now you have alumni and now you have, you know, people who after having been, for example, in Hawaii for us, we know that a lot of what we do now comes from alumni who have gone back to Hawaii and who talk about being a UNLV rebel and what that meant to them. And so it starts to become a very different kind of path for students to get to us instead of us always going to them. You're so right. Word of mar mouth, excuse me, marketing is is huge, especially when that uh, word of mouth um, referral is positive and and directed one's community. Speaking of which, um, so your current admissions practices at UNLV are they open? Are you do you tend to be on the selective side? Do you utilize um, legacy admissions to support some of those alums getting um, new students enrolled? So we are not open. Uh, we do have a selective criteria. We're not highly selective by any means, but our admission criteria as a state institution is set by our system. And so all of the universities in the Nevada system of higher education have the same criteria for entry. And so we do have a minimum GPA requirement or a minimum test score requirement, um, or there's a specific type of high school diploma that students can earn in Nevada that will gain them admissions to um, to a university in Nevada. And so we those are our, our basic criteria, right? And then our state allows us to have some students who don't meet that criteria that can then appeal. And so we we can have, if we choose to use an appeals process, um, we can do that. Now at UNLV, we're, we are rolling admissions. And so we re evaluate students, they can apply with a, a six, semester, six semester transcript. And if they don't meet the criteria, they can send an updated transcript after seven. And if they don't meet the criteria, they can even send an updated transcript after eight. If at that point they then you know, meet an admission, um, an admission criteria, we will grant them admission at that point. Um, if they don't meet any of those, uh, for at UNLV, we do have an appeal process. I'm only going to speak for us because that um, our system does allow us to set those guidelines by institution for the appeals process. Uh, we do not have any other kind of legacy admission process at all. If a student doesn't meet our criteria, then they would they would have to go through the same appeals process as everyone else. Wow. So. A consistent metric um, in terms of um, 
identifying if a student potentially could be successful academically at UNLV across the system, and then multiple um, opportunities for students to appeal um, if they don't meet that criteria at their initial point of um, admission. How would you say, uh, based on your role, that that approach to admissions really help, uh, aligns with the mission of the institution, or rather the system, and the commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion? I, I think that that is the driving factor behind all of the decisions that we make on the way that we utilize um, kind of the, you know, the structure that our system has provided to us, and then the the variability that it has allowed us to enact, um, we use that to actually encourage and support the diversity and access that is 100% the mission at UNLV. So although we are not an open access institution, we do pride ourselves very much on you know, providing access to underrepresented student groups, um, you know, whether that be race, ethnicity, um, religion, sex, gender, um, socioeconomic status, that's another really important factor that we are constantly having our eye on, um, the number of our students that are first generation. And so we feel that all of those things can really impact the student's understanding of where they are in that process. And if we don't allow the opportunity for students to see, oh, this is so, wait, if I just did this thing, then you know, in by the time the grades post in December, for example, then I maybe I'll be admissible. Or oh, if I can retake this one thing, then that that changes an admission decision for me. Um, and so we try to look at that in the bigger picture of things, and we really train our admission counselors, which we call them counselors, not recruiters, for a very specific reason. We really try to work with students on a very individual nature to help them understand where they are. Um, you know, sometimes we do have to say, you know, it's now's not the time. There's a path for you to get to UNLV, but this isn't the path at this point. You know, maybe you do need to go somewhere else and do an associate's degree and then, and then transfer in. But we really try to work through those things because it's part of our mission here at UNLV to, you know, what we call, we, we want to raise the valley. We want to help um, increase that social mobility for our community and continue to support students and their families. That's really terrific. And I know you and I know as well as our listeners that just the diversity of um, future learners continues to grow and increase, so especially in the West. Um, with yes. that said, would you mind sharing um, of the 30,000 students um, that are currently enrolled in the, at the UNLV campus, uh, what what does your incoming class size look like? And and maybe of that incoming class, um, what's maybe a, um, would you say half are, are, are cons uh, consider themselves um, part of the BIPOC community? What does that look like? So I believe that we are around over 60% um, BIPOC. So I, you know, it has fluctuated a little bit, but, and, and as has our, incoming class size mostly due to COVID, of course, but we're around 4,000 in the fall for our incoming class. We do enroll a fairly, um, a fairly good size of transfer class in the fall and then again in the spring as well. Um, so, you know, I, there's, and out of those groups, it tends to be a little bit 
a little bit lower in terms of percentage of BIPOC students, but still because a good number of our transfer students are also coming locally or from California or from Hawaii, again, kind of the same markets, we are seeing um, a lot of the same kind of, of trends um, and percentages as our first year class classes do. Um, so I think that in general, we are are fairly consistent across the board in terms of how we're trying to support the diversity of our students and, and also increase the diversity of our student population, student body, um, and looking at things that are going to do that, in, including our admission criteria, and then also, uh, you know, our financial aid processes as well. Yeah, I'm actually glad that you brought that up. Um, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that the institution is looking to grow its size, as, as many institutions across the country are, mm-hmm. um, and its commitment to uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are there specific numbers that the university has set in terms of what they would like that diversity to look like, or is it just a, a broader um, commitment to increasing diversity? It's a broader commitment. I mean, you know, we are already, we've, we hover between number one and number three in terms of most diverse institution in the nation. But, uh, you know, if you asked the folks in our administration, you know, what are you looking for? It's in typical enrollment style. It's a lot of more, you know, more, more, more diverse, more students, more. So um, I think that that's the general answer. And I think that um, in saying we want to increase our diversity, they truly mean increased diversity across the board. Uh, of course, everyone's mind definitely goes to, you know, racial and ethnic, and ethnic diversity, uh, but that's not the only place where our administration has stopped. They, you know, they do want to look at other types of diversity as well. And as I mentioned earlier, one of them being socioeconomic status, that's, that's truly important to our administration as well, is that we are continuing to you know, help diversify our student body in that way as well. And so as we continue to look at what are the efforts that we're doing, it it is to, again, within the Valley, support even more, provide even more support to those students who are underrepresented in any of the categories that we talked about at the very school level. So we do things very I mean, we are in the high schools very, very regularly trying to help students. Um, We do a lot of virtual outreach as well as um, bring students to campus along with their families to try and really get in front of them and show that we are here to help them one at a time. You know, I I said... um, I say this a lot to, you know, to my staff, we may recruit and I think all institutions do this. You, you recruit in mass, right? You recruit all of these, you know, thousands of students and that's how the funnel is set up, you know, and you can't change the funnel. It is what it is. You have to recruit thousands and thousands of students, but we enroll them one at a time. And that is what I try to get my team to focus on. And I know that that's what the institution wants to focus on as well is the individual student experience and then how that collectively can continue to um, increase the diversity at UNLV. So from locally all the way to, we're really um, increasing our international uh, practices as well. So we're just trying to um, really make UNLV, I mean, kind of a, a microcosm of, you know, what you're going to see globally. Oh, that's truly amazing. That just made my heart smile, <laughs> honestly. Uh, you know, and so it, it may be um, already um, 
clear why an institution like UNLV may not choose to utilize legacy admissions. I don't know if you know the, the history of, of that, uh, you know, certainly being a public institution might be a part of it, but just curious, um, you know, from your standpoint, especially overseeing um, undergraduate admissions um, for such a large part of the student population, um, why do you feel that it's important that you don't practice legacy admissions? I think the history is of it is, um, I mean, there are definitely things that vary, but one of them is that we are a pretty young institution. You know, I, we, um, we were established in 1957, and so we aren't to the point where we have multi-generation legacy type of enrollment. Um, and so I, I think that that might be part of it, but also that we're public, and then also that we are truly, as I said, our, our mission is to support those who need the support. And oftentimes that's not the case with legacy admission, right? They're not really looking to gain entry because it's going to help them improve their lives. Uh, and I think that one of the things that we are very focused on is that we want to help improve students' lives. And, and as I mentioned before, the lives for generations to come after them. And not through legacy admission, but through providing social mobility and providing um, a, a structure and what we call a college going culture for them and in, in their family that they then help spread to others. And it may not be directly in their family, but it's their neighbor. It's their, you know, their cousins. It's, it's all different, all different facets of, of who they interact with, where they can say, you know, I went to college or, Hey, you should think about this, or I know about this other process. And so the legacy admission and, and trying to use that as a way to support our mission doesn't really match up. It just doesn't. And I think that that's the, the biggest thing for us, um, why, we, why we would not consider that. Yeah, you know, that is a really powerful um, statement and approach. And, and you're right, it, it makes perfect sense why an institution like UNLV would not utilize legacy admissions and yet still is able to build a culture of college going um, folks through your alumni and, and mm -hmm. expand um, that legacy in that way. What's your take on this new Fair College Admissions for Students Act that was introduced to um, the federal government in February? I don't think there have been any decisions quite yet, but just curious on your thoughts as a, an enrollment uh, leader at a very diverse institution here in the U.S.? Well, I can see where institutions may not find this to be um, a thing that they would want to support. Uh, coming where I come from and from my own personal background, being you know very, very rural um, community and first generation myself and folks not having the idea of what it means to go to college or how that would work for them um, all the way through the institutions that I've worked at and especially here at UNLV. I, I personally, this is not a statement of, from UNLV, um, I, I personally support, support the idea that legacy admission is it's not fair. Um, it does take spots. You know, there are institutions that have a certain number of seats and this is what they can fill. And if you are filling a seat with someone that's a, a legacy admit, and instead of filling it with someone who could use that seat 
to launch a whole lifetime from that seat. Um, is, is that fair? Is that a fair thing to do? Uh, and so for me, it's again, back to supporting social mobility and, and social equity and, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I, I, I don't believe that legacy admissions does those things. And so again, I, I can see why an institution may want to practice that. Um, my take is that it's, it's shouldn't be a practice that is then, I mean, essentially allows the federal government or requires a student, you know, requires the federal government to provide aid to support a student who was admitted in that way. I know that there is, you know, there's the kind of caveat that, well, if it's beneficial to the student, um, or if the student can show that they may have otherwise been excluded and that they, you know, are sort of in need or would fit or their legacy ad admit would fit kind of the DEI um, situation that perhaps then that would be a different thing. Um, and in that case, though, I, I feel like as UNLV does, you can appeal a decision um, and work through how that, why those things um, should matter, which is what we encourage our students to do who are who are denied. Yeah, I I really appreciate your honest take on on this act that's being proposed, and I also appreciate um, the underlying mission of UNLV to really um, support and increase student social mobility. And oftentimes that does start with their social economic um, status for sure. Well, this act is still lingering out there. We saw the state of New York um, introducing a similar bill in March. So we'll see what is to come. Very exciting times, but that's not gonna stop the great work at UNLV. And I really thank you for your time. And while this might be our first conversation, I hope it won't be our last. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. I appreciate that. And, and thank you for asking me to join. And um, I look forward to future conversations. Thank you, Barb. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.